Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. How you guys doing? Nice. Good one. Good for you. That's good. Welcome to Coastline Nights, or formerly and lovingly known as The Six. It's great to have you here. Our heart in this service, as always, is to reach the young adult. And I just want you to know, no matter where you find yourself, stage of life, you're always welcome here. Any age, any time, demographic, that's great. But it is our heart to hopefully have... Um, a room full of young adults, people who are hungry for the word, people who are hungry to grasp more than maybe what the world has to offer. And so uh, thankful you're here, grateful you're here. Nudge the person beside you. Let them know that you're thankful you're sitting beside them tonight. Come on. And if you don't know that person, you're welcome. Now you can have an awkward conversation, which this generation is so good at. Hey, the goal of this series is to create, obviously, a firm foundation for, for the believer. Now, I'm also understanding that when we use the term firm foundation, at least in the Christian context, we're really referring to Jesus. The Bible says that he is our cornerstone. He is the actual foundation for our faith, for, for our life, truthfully. And so when we say firm foundation, what we mean is we want to help every person have a greater understand, understanding. We want to create a collection of talks, if you will, that would really help your theology your theology on specific and, and just more well-known practices of the Christian faith. And so we started with prayer. Uh, we're, we're talking about the Bible. We'll use the Bible. We're talking about the Bible tonight. And then we also have um, worship witness, which we'll get to in the next couple of weeks. I'm excited about next week's message for sure. It's, it's going to be good about just what it means to worship, specifically even musically. Um, and so for us as Christians, like our, our process, our, our whole thing is based off of the Word of God. Like, this book really does mean a lot to us, to you. Hopefully, if you believe in Jesus, this would be something that you are, as one author wrote, a creature of, but you sift in it, you're in it lots, you're thinking about it, you're considering it. And so the theology, which is the study of God, it's the understanding of who he is, it's breaking down and, and, and grasping right thinking about God would lead us to believe that this Bible, this book, has inherently incredibly great, not just information, not just historical data, but inspirational, God-breathed words for you and for me to live by. That would be the understanding. That would be the hope. And for some of us, that may be difficult. We may not believe that. They may come as a shock to you, or they may, you may not even agree with that. Well, let's talk about that more tonight. I guess tonight maybe is a little bit of me making a case for why I think the Bible is legit. And maybe that'll help you. Maybe that'll create discussion in your small groups, which kick off this week, like it was said, really important. And so I want to hopefully go there a little bit and unpack this a little bit more. If you were to go to our website, we have a statement of faith. And on our website, it would show all the different things that we traditionally just believe in and why we believe in them and, and what that really means. And so I want to show you the one when it comes to the Bible. Um, Andy read this out this morning, too, and I thought it was profound, so I, I threw it in. It says, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, fully, complete, and without error. We believe that the Bible contains all that is needed to understand salvation and to live a life that pleases God. 
the Bible is the final and ultimate authority of our faith and of our practice, which is like a really bold statement of faith. And again, I'm not suggesting that we all would agree to this. Maybe some of us would have a disagreement. Again, that's fine. Uh, welcome to the talk today. I want to try and make that case. But, but I think regardless of what you believe about this statement, regardless of your thought process, if you would fully agree with everything said, maybe it's like two-thirds, maybe three-quarters, maybe zero, whatever it may be, you can't do nothing with the Bible and live your life and, and, and I think appropriately live life. What I mean by that is this. Similar to Jesus... He is a historical figure who made extreme claims about himself. And either he is, he is exactly who he says he is, or he is a liar, or he is crazy. And you have to do something with that. As a human here on earth, you have to do something with the fact that a man came and said, God sent me to bring salvation and love and life. You have to, I think, not be logically lazy and ask hard questions and come to a conclusion on who Jesus is. As a, as a person, as a human, I think you have to do that. And I would say even, like again, with this statement and with the word, I would encourage you not to be logically lazy and suggest that it's just a book, it's not a big deal, it has some helpful things, it has some other things, I don't agree, and, and it's just this thing, but I lead my life by my feelings, or I lead my life by this, or I lead my life by what culture says, or just today I feel like this way, hold on. I am suggesting that this is, this contains, this um, is the inspired word of our God and our creator, and it has the ultimate authority on your life. And not only that, it gives you salvation, it shows you salvation and gives you a way to live out that salvation practically every day. And if that statement is true, it has a like, long-lasting impact on all of our lives. And so it's up to every single one of us not to be logically lazy, but to really unpack and reconcile and come to a conclusion with Jesus and, of course, with the Bible. And I think it starts with the Bible because that's where we read about Jesus. So can I just encourage you? Can I implore you? As a, again, as a, as a young adult who is coming into, friends, we're leading the charge. We're the next leaders of, this, of our culture. We are the ones who are, who are teaching students, who are firefighters and policemen, and, and we are, are politicians, and we're businessmen and women, and we're doctors and nurses, whatever it may be. We are the people who are leading the charge for the next generation behind us. Let's not be logically lazy and just consume content, but actually ask ourselves, if God is real, what implications does this Bible have on my life and the people around me? I think that's important. Some fun facts about the Bible. It's the best non-fiction book, best-selling non-fiction book of all time. Over five billion copies sold. It's also the most shoplifted book in the history of the world, which is kind of awesome. I love it. It's so good. If you want a Bible, we'll just give you one. Don't steal one. It's yours. Like just, it's a gift to you. You know, take it. Like we have lots of those. I think it's interesting. It's actually 66 books wrapped into one, over 770,000 words. It takes about 70 hours to read out loud. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's written by politicians and statesmen and farmers and shepherds and peasants and musicians and poets and doctors and, and fishermen and tax collectors. It's written in all sorts of places, in prison cells, in farmland, in dungeons and wilderness. It's written on, from Asia and Africa and Europe, today's Europe, I should say at least. And it's written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It, it comes with such complexity. And so I just want to say this. There's so much I'm going to hit tonight, and there's so much I'm not. Don't hate me for what I don't hit, okay? People write books about the 60s, these, these books. Like people, you know, I mean, this is, this, this is such a large conversation and topic, and I'm just trying to give you a little bit of that. And even though the Bible was written from 
people from all over different walks of life, over 1,500 years. It's accuracy, it's consistency, and mostly, friends, it's message. I think triumphs over anything else the world has to offer, especially the redemptive plan for mankind from God. I want to bring you to a verse that I think is a powerful one. It says, all scripture. Someone underlined all scripture. We love God breathed, but it says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. This is Paul writing to his, one of his friends, one of his good, close confidence, a son to him. He's giving him a verse here as he leads a church, and he says, all scripture is God breathed. Now, your version may say God inspired, and I think inspiration is kind of a funny word. I mean, Andy, we're having a conversation about this. How we, we get inspiration from anything, right? We'll, we'll get inspired about one thing, and next thing you know, that's our thing. And so I think inspired just kind of feels like happy feelings, you know? Like, I, I was really inspired by our world juniors recently. Anyone else? I was inspired. And then I was reminded, like, these are like 17-year-old kids, and they're just, I'm jacked up right now. Me and my family have been skating for like every day since we watched the World Juniors. I'm like, Bo, you're in hockey. Georgia, you're playing hockey. You're all playing hockey. Levi, get some skates on this kid. He's 10 months old. He can't even crawl. He can't even crawl, but I bought him skates. Like we're gonna, maybe, maybe I should jump in again. Maybe there's a tryout I could jump into. Anyone else ever get that feeling when you're like, I should try that again. And then you try it and you're like, I'm 32. I can't do that. You know, like, I just was inspired by what, like, Team Canada, we, it just so, it gets me so excited, and I think inspiration isn't maybe the best word here, but God breathed is actually this, it's these two words put together. It's, it comes from the word theology, theo, and it comes with this other word, neustosis, where we get our word pneuma, meaning spirit. It's theonustis, and it's this idea that it's God breathed, God breathed, right? It, it, meaning the study of God, also the spirit of God. What it's actually insinuating here is that all scripture has the fullness of God weaved into it one by one. That every ounce of his fullness, his knowledge, his wisdom comes to us, how? Through the spirit, yes, but also through the scriptures, through the word, through this very book I put in front of me to preach to you guys with every Sunday. I think that's really important. It's saying that this Bible is not just inspired, but it's actually divine. Yes, it's practical, but it's actually like more than just practical. It, it carries a serious weight. And so if you're a skeptic in here, like I get it. I totally do. Uh, you may see the Bible as like just, I don't know, like archaic and old and outdated and bigoted and, and just condones you know, injustice, not for justice. And it's outdated. It's irrelevant. I, I, I would understand that argument. I found it myself for a long time. Maybe you're just hurt by the Bible. You grew up in a tradition maybe that just used the Bible to say things, to push over you that continued to condone like shame and pain for you. Maybe for you, this, this has almost felt like someone has used this and like hit you over the head with it like a weapon and it just it doesn't resonate deep in your soul. It actually feels very heavy and when someone cracks it open, it's actually difficult to really unpack. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you just find this thing hard to read hard to prioritize, hard to even like have a confidence that you can trust it. Again, I wanna walk through this with you tonight. I wanna do my best, my absolute best to encourage you about the word of God and why I believe it can be a firm foundation for you and for me. So first and foremost, let's talk through this a little bit. Is the Bible, is God's word, is it relatable to us today? Is it relatable to you and me? Is it, is it actually something we can, we can unpack? Is it, is it reliable? Yes, but is it relatable first? Is it relatable? I want you to know something, something to note about the Bible. 
the Bible was written for you, but not written directly to you. And I actually think this is a really helpful note for many of us in here. Just, just hear me out for a second. I think the Bible, you need to understand this, was not written directly to you, but it's absolutely written for you. Meaning that we can take it, we can read it, we can understand it. There's all sorts of context, there's history, there's different stories, there's allegory, there's all these different things, and yet it's not necessarily written directly to you. We aren't the Church of Corinth, are we? No, this is Coastline Church. Welcome here. I'm glad you're here. This is awesome. But we aren't, we aren't the church in Philippi. That's not, that's not where we're at. And so when we read Paul's letters, for example, that were written to specific churches at specific moments with specific times, running through difficult, specific problems, we have to unpack its context to understand it fully. We can use it, we can read it, we can even recite it and understand it. And again, it's for us and for our benefit, but it wasn't written to you and directly to your benefit. Is that understood? And I think it's important to understand that. Because you can still take and understand that it is still relatable to you and to me today. It comes with context, history, early church. It follows, honestly, a, a very specific group of people, the Jews, which, which makes it relatable because it includes topics as it follows a group of people about marriage, sex, adultery, lust, divorce, greed, guilt, materialism, generosity, healing, hope, forgiveness, parenting, prayer, friendship, pride, obedience. It talks about heaven. It talks about end times. It talks about hell. It talks about lying, murder, suicide, rape, fears, doubt, miracles, love, hate. Again, criticism, money, creation, government, submission, rebellion, peace, leadership, comparisons, joy, discontentment, sacrifice, delayed gratification, patience, faithfulness, angels, demons, enjoying life, this life here and now, self-control, disasters, injustices, family, caring for the poor, mercy, grace, honor, fasting. It covers anything, everything, all the pieces that we tackle and the tensions we look at every single day. And it follows a group of people walking through it. What is more relatable than that? The question really is, is it reliable, which, we, which, we, which, which popped up. Is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? Is it true? Is it accurate? I, 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 nothing irks me more than when a movie has like the most biggest, maybe it's not like a plot hole, but it's like, how did we get from there to there? Anyone else? Are you like watching a movie that you're like so excited about and you're like, what? I'm gonna, I, I was actually scared to bring this up, but I'm gonna talk about it because it's irked me since I saw this movie. This is the worst movie I've seen in a long time. It's for sure the worst Marvel movie there is. The new like, the new Spider-Man movie, the newest one with all the Spider-Mans, movie sucks. That movie's terrible. Hot take, that movie, hot garbage. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was anyone else so disappointed or is this, I feel like I'm talking like, everyone's like, it was the greatest movie. All this, listen, half of you weren't even born when Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man, so you don't even know what you're talking about. You're related, this whole thing is one meme and you, that's all you wanted to see was three guys in a suit doing this and that like, oh, it's the greatest movie ever. I actually was there for Tobey. I know Tobey. I grew up with Tobes, okay? I saw him on Seabiscuit and I saw him in Spider-Man. You don't even know. Anyways. I, this movie, so here's what I want to say. So this whole movie is based on the premise of like the multiverse or whatever, like, you know what I'm saying, right? Have you seen this movie? Put up your hands if you've seen this movie. Thank you. Okay, you're there. Good to know. You just don't, you don't like my take. That's fine. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Here's, here's what I don't like about this movie. 
This whole movie is based off the mo- Sorry, this seems like, I hope Andy never listens to this podcast because he's not here. This whole movie is based off of this one premise, what the multiverse comes. And how does it happen? Like Doctor Strange is doing this spell or whatever thing to like, you know, erase people's memory or whatever because so, Spider-Man feels bad, right? Sweet Tom Holland comes in and he like, he's just talking while he does this spell. And he's like, and also if you could do help this person out. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll add that too. And he's doing his thing. And also this person, also this person. The whole premise of the multiverse happening is because the greatest wizard couldn't do a little spell while guys talking in the background? Are you kidding? This guy is supposed to be like next to Emperor Supreme, except Wong's obviously better. Like, and he can't handle a little backseat driving? <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Two movies ago, he's like... Thanos is on his way and he's doing like all the eight million trillion different ways with the, he's doing the thing. He can handle that back talk from Tony Stark, but he can't handle a little Spidey being like, help out my sweet auntie. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? If you really think about it, you're like, yeah, that's, that seems a little bit silly for a guy who's supposed to be like the most mystical, powerful Avenger. It's ridiculous. So this whole movie, which Trina got all set up, we were like ready to watch. We had like all the best snacks, pop, like the whole thing. And she's like jacked up on this. And we had watched all the Marvel movies for like a year to get to this point. And I just hated it the whole time. I'm like, it doesn't even matter. This is so stupid. Like Dr. Sh- like one little spell and he's like, multiverse. It's just like, it made no sense. You just hold, and now all of you are going to like disagree and you're going to email me. That's fine. You can email me at Brendan at Coastline. I don't care. Your opinion's wrong. Listen, <laughs> it's so silly if you think about it. They just were like, oh, we just need to get to the multiverse as quick as we can. And so they just did the dumbest writing ever. Like it was so bad. If you really think about it, it was so bad. It was so not there. Did not do a great job. And I think this is how we often feel about this thing right here. Where it's like, this thing is just jumping from Nehemiah, who, and Esbeth, there's the overlap, and is this the, the Babylonian and the Persians, and it just feels like complicated. It feels like a lot. But friends, like, obviously, I'm joking. Well, I'm not joking. That is a real opinion that I, I stick to. I really do. It's not a good movie. It's not worth it at all. Like, well, it's not bad, but it's, you know, it's not a great connection. And here... Friends, this, this, there's a connection here. Like the creator of the heavens and the earth didn't leave any plot holes, he didn't jump ahead, he didn't like delete a scene. Like it's woven through intricately, perfectly. And so when we look at the Bible, I, I think it's fair to put the Bible to test a little bit. It's fair to say there's some, there are some things that this Bible needs to tick off, honestly, to make sure we know it's reliable, relatable, that it makes sense, that there's data behind it. And so the first test is the internal test. This is just one historian, C. Sanders, who, who kind of made these specific, excuse me, specific tests to evaluate the authenticity of its historical writings. And it's, the first one is the internal test, or the cohesiveness, cohesiveness test, as I like to call it, which is really, does this make sense within itself? What we're reading together in it from, from one chapter to the next within the Bible internally, does it make sense? Do, the, do even the writers make sense in their claims? And do the writers claim that their writings are true? Do they even believe what they're saying? Does this start from start to finish really make sense cohesively? Is it just a story that they made up? Or are they accurately describing something where they were and painting a picture for you and for me. There's a verse here in 2 Peter, it says this, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. 
Hear this. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of God's majesty. I love this verse. Even if you read the start of Luke, the whole introduction to Luke is kind of confusing. He keeps talking about this guy, Theopolis, and he's like, what's this about? And he's trying to actually paint a picture. He's saying, Theopolis, my dear fellow friend, like, I encourage you. And, and the book of Luke names, I think it's over like 150 people who were still alive today as he wrote it. So you could actually go and find eyewitnesses to help back up the account and be like, yo, Billy, Luke's telling me to come see you about that thing that Jesus guy did. Is that, is that for real? And he'd be like, yeah, let me come into my home. Let me tell you about it. So they're sourcing people who are alive, and Peter here is saying, you can trust what we're saying. We mean this. Now, when you really think about this, it would be a pretty quick argument to say, listen, I can write something on the internet and then tell you that it's true. doesn't mean that it's true. I'd say, you're right, Wikipedia, right? Like, for sure. We, anybody can write anything about anyone and, and, and make it look like it's true. But how many people, how many people would die for that thing when asked if it was true. Think about this for a moment. How many people do you know would write a false wiki page and then also be willing to die for it? Because every single one of these disciples died a martyr's death. In fact, John's the only one who really didn't, and they tried to boil him alive, but God wouldn't allow it. So they sent him off to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. I love Peter. So Peter writes this verse I just gave you. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power. That's what he said. Peter then denies Jesus three times as he goes to the cross because he's under peer pressure. Doesn't want to make it look like he's a follower of Jesus. But then he sees the, the crucifixion. He witnesses Jesus after in the resurrection. And he is never the same. He's the leader of the early church. And at the end of his life, consider this. He wrote scripture he denied Jesus, then he's completely sold out for Jesus. And at the end of Peter's life, he never recanted again. He's faced with death. The Romans have come in, they're destroying everything. He's faced with death. Does he recant? Does he say, you know, I didn't mean it back there? No, they actually put him on a cross. And you know what Peter says? He says, I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus put me upside down. You don't do that if you don't believe in this. You don't do, like, you don't do that. There's something that's fake. The Bible within itself makes sense. It's cohesive, it's combined. It's writers believed in what they were writing. It, it, and that matters, that really matters. The second test that this one um, historian kind of paints the picture of the Bible, he says, what about the external test? And this is, I don't, I don't wanna spend too much time on all of this because we'll be, we'll be here forever. But what does the outside evidence say about the Bible? What do non-biblical sources say about the Bible? Because I know it seems a little bit funny to just make points about the Bible using the Bible. Do they confirm biblical stories? Do outside sources, what do they say if it's true or not? First of all, we know with, beyond a shadow of a doubt, friends, that Jesus was a historical figure. It's incredibly well-established. It would take, like, nobody even, whether they're Christian or not, who's worth their salt, any historian would deny that fact. And I know many people like to disagree, but it's just historically and, and honestly on a, on a university level, no one would deny that. But there are many non-biblical writers, Roman, Greek historians, um, Tacitus and Suetonius were the most popular. You can Google them later. 
Not only that, there was Josephus, who was an extremely well-known first-century Jewish historian who wrote about Jesus, not necessarily a follower of Jesus, but wrote about him. He wrote about John the Baptist. He wrote about the crucifixion. This is a direct quote from, from Josephus. Jesus was the doer of wonderful works to everyone. I love that. I just love that line. And then, of course, you have all sorts of archaeological findings and discoveries that help source back to the Bible, dating back to King David, the temple, the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are, again, some things you can go home and Google. I'm not going to unpack it too much. Pastor Andy did a great job this morning. You can listen to his message. One quote that I think I've actually shared at the six before, it says, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Friends, again, all of this points to what? The external test that we're tackling the Bible does. Is there outside evidence that encourages and actually uplifts the Bible and says this is accurate? Yeah, there is. And I think that's fair. Like, the external test also, can I just say, a little more relatable to us than just stats and information? I think the external test is best tested by ourselves, like by, by you and me. Um, you have to see the Bible lived out in your life to see if not just internally are you reading something that makes sense. Well, from front to back, I would say this makes most sense. But does it actually practically relate to your life and to mine? Really interesting book by a guy named A.J. Jacobs. It's, it's called Living Biblically for a Year. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, there's like a Facebook reel that goes on. It just shows this. He didn't shave his face or anything. You may have seen it. You may not. It was a little while ago. But he actually... This is a really interesting quote from his Bible. He's, he's, he's not a Christian, but he just wanted to live biblically for an entire year to see if this thing, this book here, made sense to everyday life. And this is a quote from him. He says, I'm still agnostic. This is at the end of his book. But in the words of Ellen Richards, I'm now a reverent agnostic, which is a bit of an oxymoron, I think. I now believe that whether or not there's a God, there is absolutely such thing as, I love this word, sacredness sacredness. Life is sacred. This book talks about it, he says. The Sabbath can be sacred. Prayer, it seems, is very sacred. I absolutely believe that there is something transcendent beyond the everyday, and I see that externally every day as I live this book out. It's a really interesting quote, isn't it? From a guy who still says, I'm not sure if I believe everything, but there is something here that when lived out speaks far above just everyday life. It, it's, it transcends just go to work, nine to five, come home. There's something more here. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm definitely someone who, I love that I'm a, a reverent agnostic, agnostic. So can I encourage you? You wanna take this book at, at its face value, do that, but there's an external test that you and I can practice every single day. The final test as I get close to the end here, guys is this test of the bi biographical test. Really what I mean is, like, does it have empirical data? Is, does it stand the test of time when it comes to textual criticism? And I do think this one matters, and I want to spend some time on it. How well do the original manuscripts of this book really translate today? Because don't things kind of get, like, messed up along the way? Haven't we changed this a lot to kind of make it feel better for us right now versus when it was back then? Why do manuscripts matter so much? I've heard this term before. Friends, the process of textual criticism is when you take the original document of something and you actually compare it in two ways. First of all, how many manuscripts of that original one do we have? And the more you have, usually the more it backs up the claim of that thing. And how close to is it to the, the actual date of something happening? 
So, for example, and we do have some of these, I think, today, there's, there's all sorts of things that, that we can list and we can show that have their original manuscript and then how long. I think it's important to recognize this, too. When it comes to the Old Testament, this is fantastic. This is really interesting. Jewish historians were known for, their, for, for being absolutely incredible at upkeeping texts and making sure they stayed to the very, like, letter. They would actually find, they'd take, like, the book of Isaiah, for example, and they would find the central letter, not word, not paragraph, not, set, like, the, the very center of the letter. And as they multiplied manuscripts and wrote more, if it didn't match up perfectly, if it was a 1,000 letters this way and 1,200 this, whatever it was, like, they, they would... 12, it's gotta be the center. So it's gonna be the same, you know what I'm saying? And like they would find the exact letter and if it didn't match perfectly, they'd throw it out. They'd destroy it, they'd start all over again. This is again, really interesting. They, they kept up with this, they did a good job of this. You can trust it. And so we can know that this book has stood the test of time. It has been compared to all sorts of things. I wanna show you some other historical writings. I wanna show you some historical writings. For example, many people may, Many of you may know the, the Iliad, which is like a well-known document. It's got all sorts of Greek writings. Like it's, it's a well-copied document. There has an incredible amount, an incredible amount of manuscripts that match its original, 643. There's also Plato's Republic. Again, set, there's actually seven manuscripts that match its original. Aristotle, there's five. Caesar, we have 10. These are like pretty well-known documents that have tons of manuscripts that match with their original. This is, again, well-documented information. You can find this on Google. Alpha does a really good job covering this as well. You can go on YouTube, type Alpha Bible Manuscripts, and you'll see it. And so we have to look at some of the, the more historical pieces, secular pieces, if you will, and then match it and see, like, does the Bible even, is it even close to this? Is it even remotely close? Actually, I was doing some research on one that I find interesting. Anything when it comes to Roman history, so, like, again, the Romans, a well-documented group of people who were, like, above and beyond. Like, they ruled, you've heard me say this, from, in, from India to England. Like, they had everything, you guys. A well-documented group of people who, who, from, like, their birth of time all the way to Augustus, if you want to find anything about them, you would go to Livy's Roman history. And this is what's used. If you're looking at Roman history in university, if you go to UVic and take a class on Roman history, you will use Livy's Roman history. And there's, tw excuse me, there's 20 original manuscripts, or sorry, 20 manuscripts from its original. 20, 20. Again, getting taught this in university, there's 20 manuscripts that attach to Livy's Roman history. And the first one that we have happened 900 years after the end where Augustus dies. So keep that in mind, keep that in, like, keep that in your heart for a second. And then when it comes to the Bible, friends, the Bible stands alone. It unquestionably passes all these tests. The New Testament alone has over 24,000 manuscripts post its originals. Like 24,000, not 100, not 240, like 24,000, I think it's like 5,300 Greek and over like 9,000 in, in, in Aramaic or Latin maybe it is. Like, guys, we're talking about a ton here. We're talking about a ton. When it comes to any document that we read historically, nothing matches the Bible. And only that, we have a manuscripts from only 100 years after. 100, and honestly, I'm being generous. I'm being generous so no one misquotes me, but it's, it's much closer. It's much closer than 100 years. I think this matters. I think the Bible passes all these tests with flying colors. 
And honestly, there's so much information, it overwhelms me. Like, I get into it, and I'm trying to share with it because I think it matters. But it honestly, like, it, there's so much here. I want to say so much more. There's so many more we could go through and get through. But it would take a quick Google search to find this stuff. I think the Bible matters because it reveals God to you and to me. And it also reveals us to ourselves. And I think more, like, again, I can give you stats and information, and I think young adults want that. That's important. We, we've seemed to slow down in understanding why, the why of something, and we more want to just understand how. And so that's why I give this to you. The Jews weren't really interested in that. They didn't really care how something happened. They cared why something happened. And I want to get back to that. I think that's important for our culture. Does this Bible make sense? Yeah, it does. Does it stand the test of time? Absolutely. So why still do we find ourselves in a time in a culture, in a moment, where the Bible seems to continue to get rejected, denied, pushed aside, we're a lot more likely to pick up a different book. I, I'm, I'm sure there's people who in here, and this isn't really a job because these books are great too, but who have picked up Harry Potter's for the sixth time to read them through before getting into this thing. Like, not judging Harry Potter, this isn't the thing about Harry Potter, I'm just saying. There's so many great, you know, Lord of the Rings, whatever it is for you. If the Bible is true, and its direction for your life, for my life, represents our creator's design, then we would be wise to read it. But I think there's a tension point with the Bible that is so different than any other book that I think points to the evidence that it is divinely inspired, and it's this. And yeah, I'm gonna use a verse to back it up, but it says this, for the word of God is alive and active. This is Hebrews. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Friends, this is the actual tension we have. When we look at all the historical data and all the internal tests and the external tests and, and like all the bibliography stuff, like it's all there. We know that. Many of us have, have read this in school. We know this. This is actually the tension that, that lies between us and seeing the full revelation that exists in the Bible. Is we know what's gonna say stuff about our life that we don't want it to say. Can we just be honest? It's, it's not actually all the facts and the points and the, the data and stuff. Like, it's not actually that. Like, I think most of us have heard those points before. And if you haven't, I hope it encourages you. It's the fact that it is active and alive, that it penetrates our heart, that it says stuff about our character that we're like, oh, why, why do I feel bad about it? Oh, what? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have. Oh, I don't like. You know what? No thanks. I'm good. I'm just going to do my thing the way I want to do it, experience life the way I feel like I should experience it, rather than asking ourselves if God has really given us, written to us, given us his words, sent Jesus that we would see him in his fullness, that people would write it down and try and live our life in a greater capacity. The Bible says that he wants to give you life and life to the full, a, a, a fullness of life that is unmatched to anything this world has to offer. And we're like, mm, no, I still think I'll do it better. Friends, this is the actual tension of this whole message we don't like this. This is hard. We don't want to give anything influence over our life. But I believe life actually jumps off the pages if you'll give it an opportunity to. I'm inviting the team back up. And I want to just, I want to try something tonight. Because a message like this, it's, it's practical. There's a lot of, like I said, a lot of stats and different pieces. And, 
And that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I want to give you an understanding and theological case for why I think the Bible matters. I think you get probably you're going to go home and Google some stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls and textual criticism. Again, that's good. That's, that's powerful. I want you to do that. But don't miss the tension that truly, actually is difficult to manage. Let's not pretend, right, that it's not real. That this Bible says stuff about sexual ethics that we would be like, I don't know if I, you know what, I'll just do it my way. This Bible gives direction to your life to mine and actually says that even in the hardest moments that we should resist and trust the Lord, and that's hard, especially if we love control. I know it's hard for me. Friends, I read this book and I've had doubts. I, again, then you guys know my story a bit, but for a whole year taking philosophy in different classes at UVic and I'd show up at the, at the library early and I'd get a chamomile tea thinking it was giving me energy. Didn't know it was the sleepy tea. Didn't know that. I know. <laughs> Go to university. <laughs> you don't even know chamomile makes you sleepy. And I'd be there and I'd be listening to music and I'd be reading this being like, that is nuts. I don't even, what? I didn't get it at all. And I heard some of these stats and I found that really compelling. That the Bible has more manuscripts than any book ever. That men and women gave their lives up for this. That the gospel writer Luke was a doctor and he gave up his practice to church plant. That felt compelling to me to read more. And so I started reading I'm reading, I didn't understand it all. And I'm not asking you to, today, tomorrow. And I think for many of you, I was a skeptic at that point. I just had to read this for myself. I had to understand that this is gonna say some stuff I don't like that doesn't mean it's not beneficial. And that it's not just about reading and applying, but it's about reading and gaining the revelation of God through his son, Jesus, that is woven from Genesis to Revelation, that he loves you, that he's for you, and that this book really has life. We sang a song tonight that said we're never alone. And sometimes it feels like, how am I supposed to know that by just the Holy Spirit he's supposed to show me? This is how you know too. He has given you himself written in form in so many ways to share with you that you're not alone, that he sees you, that you are loved, that he fights your battles, that when you go into work tomorrow and you gotta, you're wrestling some tension with boss or coworker, whatever it may be, or school or whatever it is, and you're studying, that you are not alone, that he's with you every minute, he's with you every moment. You just gotta pick him up off the shelf and get into it a bit. So what I wanted to do tonight as an application for you is I wanted to read to you I was gonna, five of my favorite verses. And these are just like highlighted in my Bible. Right now I have a Bible that I'm reading and I'm gonna use this Bible hopefully for the next four or five years. And I just have been highlighting stuff for Georgia. And I wanna underline stuff for my daughter and I wanna give it to her one day. And so I'll see things and I'll make a note and it'll be like, gee, you need this in your life, girl. Look at this for a moment. And I went through my Bible today and I found five verses that clearly spoke to me because I had made notes for her and I wanna give them to you tonight. But I wanna do something that I hope will speak to your heart 
And so if you would, here's what I'm, I'm gonna tell you what to do and then we'll, we'll try it. And I know I was actually really nervous to do it with you guys because I was worried that they, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't humor me a little bit, but I, I really hope and pray you will because I believe in this generation. I believe in you. I wanna read five verses and if, and if one of them really stands out to you, if it encourages your soul, if it's what you needed to hear tonight, would you stand up? We're gonna, again, we're gonna do this in a moment. Eyes closed across the room. But if something speaks to you in such a way, it is everything you need to hear. I just, it's my heart and prayer that you would stand up. Eyes will be closed. But I just want, I wanna see the words of this book come alive in your heart. So if you would, you can close your eyes all across this place. And I'm just gonna take a moment and I'll read them and I'll pause. And if it speaks to you, stand up. And if it does, that's okay. But don't not speak, stand up because you didn't, you don't wanna be the only one. Don't not stand up just because you're worried what your friend will think. If this speaks to you, then it's God speaking to you and you're not alone tonight. John 16, 33. I've told you all of these things. This is Jesus' words. I've told you all of these things so that in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Have great courage. For I, Jesus, have overcome the world. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Second Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul in his harshest of moments. My grace is enough for you. For my power is, is perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Isaiah 53.5. But he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Jesus. And by his wounds, we are healed. John 11, verse 25. And if you stood up, just stay standing for me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Even though they die, anyone who believes in me will live. This is the word of God. It's alive and active. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's people standing in this room because your words carry depth. Jesus, there's people standing in this room not because of eloquent speech or perfect data interpretation, but because you love them, you're for them, and you're speaking to them now. I, I really believe that. Lord, we believe that you have, I believe that you have overcome the world. I believe that when we cast our anxiety on you, 
Lord, that you take it all and that you care for us. I believe, Lord, that your grace is enough for me. That I don't need more power. I don't need more much, Lord. I just need you. Lord, that you have healed us if we would just receive, that you actually bring resurrection to broken dreams, you bring resurrection to broken purpose, you bring resurrection and reconciliation to anyone and everyone who will have it. And so I pray that we would be a church, a generation, an evening service that fights for it, that desires it, that wants more of it. Holy Spirit, I pray that the word would come alive this week for the first time. That scripture that once didn't make sense would start to make sense. And that we would feel encouraged and inspired, Lord, that we never walk alone if we carry the word of God. That we never walk alone if we have you in our heart. That we never walk alone because your spirit goes with us. For a generation, Lord, that has been so lonely, that has been so desperate, that has been so plagued by anxiety. I pray with all of my heart, Jesus, in this moment, here tonight, January 15th, that we would actually, we would see a 180 turn, Lord, that we would truly, God, not be the generation plagued by loneliness, but we would be the generation plagued by your spirit, that we'd see and sense, God, a greater foundation for our lives, that Holy Spirit, you would really come alive in our bones, God, in our hearts, and especially in our mind. So we declare this evening, Lord, that you are alive, that you're speaking through your word. God, would we have a reverence for this book, a real honest reverence. When we open it up, would it not be with grunts and sighs, but with an anticipation that even if five verses from one guy's Bible can speak, how many more can speak to every person when they really engage this book? So we love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Speak, Lord. Come alive in the scripture this week for the person who is going through their yearly Bible plan and already feel like they want to give up. Help them to persevere, to continue to see glimpses of who you are. For the person who hasn't read this in a very long time, I pray in Jesus' name that the dust would be wiped off, that the cobwebs would be taken away, that they'd reach for this wherever it is on their shelf or their night table, that they, tonight they would choose the Bible over their phone, the Bible over any streaming service. And Jesus, we would be people who know you care for us and see us, and we'd recognize it through the word of God. It's in your name I pray, in your holy name I pray, with your Bible in my hand. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? You know, just so you know, if you ever have questions about this, if you ever, if there's a scripture that didn't make sense, just DM us on Instagram or come to the Next Steps table or find someone after service or come to prayer, like find one of the staff or team members. Church, we want to help you in this. You're not alone in this. You're not walking alone. Let us help you in any way we can. There's actually a Bible course starting tomorrow night. Here at this church, there's a small group. Basically, it's gonna be a big group, I think. But you can sign up. And it's, it's, a, it's like a six-week class on how to read your Bible. Uh, Delmar, our, our local theologian, he's, he's over here. He's always around. He serves diligently. He loves the Word of God. And there's more of you guys in here who I know who have like a master's in this. And I want to encourage you to go find these guys, to ask them a question. Talk to these people. They, they want to help you get into this book more, okay? You're not alone in this. Let's sing together.